Barukata Adonai Elohenu Melakaolam, Asher Bakar Bin Vim Tovim, Beratza Vedivrehim Hane Emarim Beemet, Baruk Ata Adonai Haboker Batora Uv Moshe Avdo, Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek, Biskut Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Amen. May this podcast be to the Refua Shlema of Esther Makovitz, daughter of Sarah. Amen. I want to welcome everyone to the Haftara Get You Some podcast with Shomer and Hasis. We are getting set to enter into the great month, the great Chodesh, I should say, of Nisan. So this upcoming Shabbat is a special Shabbat. It is Shabbat HaChodesh, which literally means Shabbat of the month. So uh, just want to hand it over to Hasis and uh, it's Parashat Tazria. It's almost Nissan, and we're closing out the second Adar, and man, Burger Shem. Amen. Well, that's awesome. You know, and like like you said, it is uh, easily translated as the half tour of the month. You know, definitely stressing the, the the part. You know, a lot of awesome things happen in uh, Nissan, and uh, just I think I want to apologize because I think uh, last uh, half tour I got my my calendars mixed up because I have a dual calendar of uh, Gregorian and Hebrew, oh, and man. the end of March ended with the uh, I saw like the 29th end like on a Friday, and so I was looking at the wrong dates. I think I said that uh, last Shabbat was the first of Nissan, which is I'm meant to say or should have said that this nissan or this this shabbat is the first of nissan well you know i don't blame you you're so excited that nissan's coming and I know. it's crazy having this unequally yoked gregorian calendar with our uh, hebrew calendar so <laughs> so but it is the month it's an amazing month like like we said this uh, this shabbat will be rosh chodesh uh nissan so add all your Rosh Chodesh uh, blessings in there. Uh, awesome, awesome month. You had all the patriarchs were said to be um, born in this month. Uh, and let's see. Uh, also, you had the, the creation of man, according to the Talmud, at least in, in thought. Um, the whole argument you had in Rosh Hashanah, you got 10, 10 B to 11 A. Um, whole Gemara goes on to talk about how uh, the man was created in thought on the first of Nisan. <laughs> and of course, we have uh, the Mishkan inaugurated along the, the deaths of two uh, highly righteous, esteemed members of Israel at that time, the sons of Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu. That's right. And we also have um, the Jewish calendar, the first Jewish calendar, which was given to uh, Moshe. Yeah, yeah. No. 1313 BCE. <clears throat> Two weeks right before the Exodus happened. Wow. And so, you know, Shem says, when you when you see uh the moon like this, sanctify the new month. Okay. So talk about um, you know, Hashem has 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 granted us the ability to to call the new month and 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 in a sense hating us that that we are to be masters of time and and uh, keep track of our time and use use that wisely. So, wow. awesome Can little, I tag uh, something real quick? 
Yes, let me say this one point real quick. Okay. Just so yeah, uh, so with that, you know, the the he says when you see the moon like this, sanctify the new month, right? So mm-hmm. Rosh Hashanah kind of goes into this whole idea of uh, Kadush Lavana. So I remember the, in the first 15 days of Nisan, within the first 15 days, make sure you say those blessings for all our, our listeners out there. But yeah, go for it. Well, first thing I wanted to say is Parsha Tazria uh, Vayikra 12.5 says, if the woman bears a female, she shall be unclean for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And you just said when it's Rosh Kodesh Nisan, we're two weeks away from Pesach. And this whole picture of giving birth to uh, a female, which we know the ultimate female is the Shekinah of Hashem, and that's the feminine aspect. And so we, as Israel, have the opportunity to give birth to the Shekinah on Rosh or starting on Rosh Hodesh Nisan going into Pesach and why that's such a big month. And um, the other thing that uh, I was thinking about was the fact of Parsha Shemini being Rosh uh, Hodesh Nisan and like this being the first month on the calendar. So I don't know. I just thought about that as well as we're getting ready for Pesach. So like the two week countdown literally begins with this uh, Shabbat HaKodesh. Man, that is intense. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's interesting, you know, what you bring about um, this whole this whole idea of the uh, Shekinah, you know, it mentions mentions in the uh, the Zohar, they have this 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 um, conversation and it's like they ask this question, like, who who is the eighth day? Hmm. And it goes into talking about uh, Bathsheba, the daughter of seven, and it goes into talking about how the, the, the Shekhinah itself. And then, you know, like you said, right after that, you have uh, Saria, which is the whole conceives, when a woman conceives. Right. And give birth to a boy. And the Ramkal saw something extremely interesting. I wasn't going to go on this, but, you know, you got me hooked back into the Parsha. <laughs> But he mentioned this this idea. This is, um, he posed this question: Why must we be told that she conceived? Would it not have sufficed for the Torah to begin with when a woman gives birth to a male? And he mentioned this idea that um, Saria, actually the the title of our our Porsche Parsha this week, says the word for conceives actually alludes to the spiritual lights which are passed down to the child. And have this this male child is endowed with spiritual lights comprised of seven permutations of a shim's name, which equals seven hundred eighty uh, six hundred eighty seven, excuse me, which is the the gematria of uh, Tatsuya. Mm. And so, you know, you have this idea. That's the words you have. Ki Tatsuya, from like uh, re- could be read as because of Tatsuya. Because the combination of these seven names totaling the value of Tatsriya, she was able to give birth to a male. Wow. And so, you know, it's interesting because it mentions these these seven uh, these seven divine names, this whole these spiritual lights that come down, and this whole idea of of 
um, the woman's receiving this light and then she bears a male child. Man. And so you have, we just talked about, you know, this whole idea of, uh, of seven, like Bathsheba, daughter of seven, talking about the lower uh, seven Sephiroth, uh, this divine light coming down. And you kind of have this uh, divine birth illusion going on here. Right. You know, all these spiritual divine lights. And this allows the woman to conceive and, bore a, and bear a male son. You know, not to mention, as we point out, the whole uh, Zerah seed that's been with us since the very beginning in Bershit as, as a name for Mashiach. Yes, amen. So <laughs> there we go. There's that. There is that. So the woman shall give birth to Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Just so happens to be the parsha we're talking about as we head into Nissan. <laughs> okay. That's right. You know, All talking right. about the the end redemption will also be around Nissan time. Man. <clears throat> All right. So, so back to our scheduled uh, broadcast. Scheduled broadcast. Yes. <laughs> Uh, short swear, no. Right. So we're we're coming in into um, uh, Yehezkel forty five, looking at at sixteen, uh, sixteen forty six, uh, eighteen. Um, this whole area of Yehezkel is always it's just related to the whole third temple, and you know we're it's it's like we've came to a. A beautiful close. We're coming to a beautiful close because we have these are the the four parsha we talked about. We've been in the last uh, few weeks preparing us for Purim and Pesach. Mm. You know, we we've been through parsha Shekhalim. Um, we talked about uh, reconstructing the Behamikdash, making the repairs. Then we went to parsha Zakor, which read before Purim. And the whole idea of eliminating Amalek. And then we went to Parsha Para last week and uh, talking about, you know, the 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 heifer, the heifer of a shim that we get atonement for. And now we're into Parsha HaKodesh. And interesting, this is all about um, the third temple, and it speaks of this Nasi who uh, many of the commentators uh, quote is okay, he's he's like a king, or no, he's like the Kohen Gadol. Um, but many of them comment that this is Mashiach. <laughs> so it's definitely a, uh, interesting point. You know, we're towards the end and this is, it's like, we're at a, uh, in this time frame. it's at a point where you know, everyone is at this this elevated spiritual level. Um, you have the greater demands that are put on like priests and, and Levites. And this is the point when like after the Jewish people have been redeemed, the Mashiach is the monarch. He's the king. The kingdom of God has been firmly established. You have this complete like new new world order that that's set forth. And here, here he is making all these offerings. And so it's like, this is the, the, what we're praying for at the end of our Shemoni Ezrei prayer, prayers. Yes. This is like the great finale, if you will. 
Well, I'll tell you what, we definitely need a new world order and not the kind that the governments of man is planning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Because that will crumble. <laughs> yeah. And it's not necessarily maybe uh, new, but a re- renew, if you will. Because, you know, Chodesh Be'ivrit means yeah. to renew. Exactly. So, wait, wait, wait. So, this is the Shabbat of renewal? Mm hmm. Wow. Okay. Oh, Chodesh. Man. <laughs> so, just kind of give an overview um, through like chapters like 45, 48. It's, it's, all, it's talking about Yechezkel um, distributed to Eretz Israel among the tribes, Kohanim, Levanim, and Asi. But uh, this would only come into effect in the era of Mashiach. So he's looking for the days of Mashiach, the days of the third temple. It says there's, there's several differences um, to the allocation of land during Yehoshua's leadership. And, and here you'll find that very common of Yehezkel's um, writings. They seem to almost contradict the Torah and the Tanakh. We'll get in that later. This is Hashem. Oh, man. Talks about each tribe is going to be granted this this equal portion, um, while previously it was divided like per capita, and so no tribes would dwell on the other side of the Yarden as during the reign of Yehoshua, and finally it talks about the Beit Hamikdash will be placed in the portion of the Kohanim rather than the plot of both Yehuda and Benjamin, hmm. <clears throat> and so kind of the relocation of of different areas. Wow. So, okay, pretty interesting, interesting stuff. Well, I'll tell you that I'm definitely looking forward to the third temple. Yeah, and I really pray that we get to see it in our lifetime. That'll be a a, a beautiful, beautiful sight. Man, pun intended. <laughs> definitely. So he goes and talking about who who is this Nasi, this ruler? Like I said, this is uh, Mashiach. And um, Midrash goes into to, to explain, you know, the prophet implies that Hashem will at the time be the true king of the nation, mm. you know. And so compared to him, the Jewish people will be a mere ruler or prince. This is something that B'nai Israel failed to appreciate in the days of the prophet Shmuel. And this is when they said, appoint for us a king. And Shmuel gets really uh, upset. He's like, I've served you with all my heart, all my energy. I haven't been done anything corrupt. And Hashem says, Hey, they're really, they're really insulting me. And so this is, this whole um, aspect is really this tacoon for this, uh, this, I guess, if you want to call it uh, sin or transgression or error that um, B'nai Israel made. So there's like making amends for this whole indiscretion by you know, not accepting Hashem as, as, as our king at that point in time. Wow. Isn't <clears throat> it so interesting that we need to be able to see Hashem as our king as opposed to know that Hashem is our king? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're like, oh, we're cool with that. We're cool. Okay. Now that you got an image. All right. Great. <laughs> so, um, awesome. Awesome point. We get into uh, this whole uh talking about the nasi offering meals is it's the nasi's duty to provide the ola and mika offerings this is verse 17 
and the poured offerings for the festivals, uh, Rosh Hashim, and on Shabbatot. For all the holy seasons, the house of Israel, he is prepared from his own money, the Chatat Minka Ola, Shalshrin offerings, and atone for the house of Israel. And according to Ahav uh, Atan, Hashem's original plan in the wilderness was that Aaron should donate all the offerings to the Jewish people from his own money. But when he sinned with the golden calf, Hashem no longer considered worthy of this privilege. And so the Korbnot Sabor was collected from like the Jews. And so in the future, this Nasi Mashiach will be a Sadiq and therefore once again provide all the Korbanot. Say what? Yes. So the fact that Mashiach, all the offerings can be found in him, that, I mean, that's, that goes without saying. I'm going to provide everything. Oh my goodness. And then it's something very interesting, you know, that the, the Kohen should take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the, the Hakal section on the four corners of the ledge of the Mizbeach and the doorpost of the inner court, Ezra Nashim. And verse 20, you should do this on the first seven days of the month to atone for the one who sins in error or out of ignorance, and you shall atone for the Beit HaMikdash. The future dedication ceremony of the Beit HaMikdash, just like that of Mishkan in the wilderness, is to begin on the first of Nisan. During the first seven days, there will be a special ceremony placing blood of the Chatat sin offering on the Mizbeach and on the entrance of the Beit Mikdash as an act of atonement. And it goes into this question, says, what, for which sin will the ceremony atone? And it gives these three options. And it says, one is only permitted to enter the Beit HaMikdash in a state of purity. If one touched a dead body or experienced another specific condition, rendered him impure, he was prohibited from entering and so this chata atoned for a man who had inadvertently entered the holy temple in a state of ritual impurity. Um, second one is for the thousand years the site of was desecrated by non-Jews while it lay in ruins. The sin offering will atone for this too. And three, the ceremony will also be an atonement for the primordial sin committed by Adam when he partook of the forbidden fruit in Ganadin. So this is the, the three is I, three ideas of um, what was happening here. Wow. What sin was atoned for? And there's your connection to Ki Tazria the Yalda Zekar, which is the when the woman shall give birth to a son because she shall be impure for seven days. And there's your blood for seven days mm -hmm. in the of Nisan. Wow. Man. Okay. So after after this, after this this whole talk about this this future atonement, the Hathor goes into the future dedication offerings of a Pesach. And it mentions that on the fourth of the Nisan, the ruler shall provide with his own money, like I mentioned before, a bull for a khatat sacrifice for himself for all the people of the land. And he'll provide a burnt offering because, you know, seven bullocks and seven rams daily for each seven days and for a chatat goat offering. And it goes in the, the, the minka offering that he'll provide. And it mentions that Yechezkel has described the Korban Pesach of the future. And in the next Pesachim in the half Torah, will also deal with the Korban of Sukkot, Shabbos, Rosh Kodesh, as well as the daily Tamin offerings. Mm. And so this is really interesting because this is where it differs extremely from the Torah, um, as far as offerings that's required in the Torah and in uh, Yechezkel. Okay. 
And so um, in the Torah, the Musa sacrifice, it was two bulls, a ram, seven lambs, a daily burnt offering, and a male goat as a sin offering. And so here you have these seven bulls, these seven rams, the Ola, um, and then he, he adds a bull as a chatat, which is not mentioned in the Torah at all, the whole, the whole sin offering of a bull. And then there's these whole uh, quantities of oil and flour that, that are being added to. And you kind of reference Bamibar 2820 and 15610, um, kind of as a reference to uh, how much quantities he added to that Minka offering. But it asks this question, it's like, how do we resolve this conflict? Conflict. Oh. You know, because we know, we know that the Torah is eternal mm. and the it applies to the future as well as the past. And so our, our sages went on and just discussed this, this whole idea, um, trying to resolve what's happening here. And so this is going to lead us into our first story time. Come on. <clears throat> There was a time when the sages conflicted excluding the book of Kohelet from the Holy Scriptures. They found it full of contradictions and were bound to ensue misunderstandings. For example, there is a verse in Kohelet that extols the merit of living for the sake of pleasure, such as, I praise joy. For a man has nothing better while on their son than to eat, drink, and be merry. While another verse uh, recommends the exact opposite. I said about laughter that it is insane and about merriment. What sense does it make? The sages found that at the beginning as well as the conclusion of Kohelet expressed Torah true thoughts. The beginning teaches, what gain does a person have from toiling all his life, except for toiling in Torah that preceded the universe? And the end of the book teaches, fear God and keep his mitzvot, for this is the whole man. This is the purpose of creation of the entire world. Verses expressing such profound truths were most certainly written by King Shlomo with while Ruach HaKodesh was resting upon him. Chazal therefore concluded that the entire book must have been written with Ruch HaKodesh and consequently merited illusion in the Tanakh. Verses that appear puzzling at first may be resolved if they are carefully analyzed by one qualified to do so. In fact, after much deliberation, Chazal presented a beautiful explanation for the aforementioned apparent contradiction. The joy that Shlomo recommended and the joy that he decried were two, different, uh, two different states entirely. Positive joy is one that accompanies the performance of a mitzvah, such as song and dance at a wedding for the purpose of gladdening the hearts of bride and groom. A witticism introducing a Torah lecture so that the audience might be in a more receptive frame of mind. Or joy of a prelude for tefillah. This type of happiness is of a spiritual nature. It brings a person closer to perfection and causes the shekinah to rest on him. On the other hand, entertainment and fun for their own sakes are entirely worthless. They are of a pure physical nature and provide but a fleeting moments of so-called pleasure. In a similar vein, Chazal were able to resolve all the other apparent contradictions in Kohelet. And also, in the book of Mishle and Tanakh, there was much deliberation on the subject because, too, it was full of contradictory verses. But the sages concluded, just as we managed to resolve the difficulties in Kohelet, so we would explain the discrepancies in Mishle. Indeed, satisfactory conclusions were reached on every apparent contradiction in Mishle. Concerning the book of Yechezkel, Chazal knew that it had been composed prophetically, yet they were unable to explain a number of passages which directly contradicted Torah, one of which is this half-Torah, which concerns the future festival sacrifices. The sages were therefore about to conceal the book of Yechezkel, excluding it forever from the Holy Scriptures. Rabbi Hanana ben Hezekiah, one of the greatest among them, secluded himself in an attic with large quantities of oil for light and food for nourishment. 
after spending a long time contemplating the difficult points in question, according to one view, an entire year. <clears throat> he was able to resolve each and every discrepancy. Unfortunately, due to our sins, his explanations have been lost. We must therefore patiently wait for the prophet Eliyahu to clarify the difficult verses for us. <clears throat> the end. There is that. Uh, I'll just definitely uh, testify to that point that I got to be a part of a Talmud study on one Shabbat uh, Boker, one Shabbat morning. And uh, they were, there was a rabbi teaching um, about this. And he was saying that there are so many contradictions that we come across with Halakha and different Midrash and things like that. And it's like, well, everything is the way it is until Eliyahu gets here. And then we'll get it all figured out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the phrase, uh, tefu. Yep. You know, this whole idea ends, ends the, the, the Talmud in that. Like, he will explain it all. Nice. You know? So, tefu? Yes. Nice. Just learned a new word this week. Get you some. <laughs> so, it, it mentions this whole idea, you know, like, sadly, there's no record of Rabbi Hanina bin Hezekiah um, explaining these contradictions. And so, you know, Rashi mentions it because of our sins that we don't know the answers. Oh. But it mentions that the sages said, hey, look, they looked at Kohelet. They look at Mishle. They look at Yechezkel. And what started this endeavor was they saw that Kohelet was full of Torah, true thoughts. Wow. And through that, they said, okay, well, it has Torah, true thoughts in it. So the book must be composed of Ruach HaKodesh. Wow. You know, and, and you, you look at this, this whole idea of like, okay, well, they're considering throwing Yechezkel's book out the, out the window completely because they couldn't understand it. And the commentary written by the sage has been lost uh, due, due to our sins, the generations of persecutions and all the book burnings that went through throughout the hundreds of years um, from the nations. Mm. And, and it was lost, but still we, we kept Yechezkel in, in our, our Tanakhs. <laughs> we didn't just throw it out. And so it's interesting to me that, that there's, that there's, uh, there's problems with the Basora. Uh, yeah. Sounds way familiar. <laughs> you know, there's torture, torture thoughts in, in, in the, uh, Basora. And so it, it, it's fitting that, that we would just take an honest look at that and, and see what's going on, you know, and resolve some of those discrepancies. Wow. So maybe we, may we continue to, uh, uh, when we go back and reference to the Basura after reading uh, different Midrashim and, uh, and, and Gemaras and, and things of that nature, may we continue uh, making... Uh, a tacoon for the 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 true identity of the basura that's been a little bit uh i guess concealed diluted yeah well kenya hidatson may it continue to be so until the coming of mashiach yeshua amen amen and that's pretty much it <laughs> okay. okay all right cool okay no all right and, so, uh, thank you all for joining us and uh, the shortest hoftober podcast ever 
<laughs> so uh the, yeah they uh his book's gonna be found so that's pretty much it we're we're over no <laughs> so we're not we're not gonna leave it there um oh. explain some of what's going on here yes let's do it according to text we may not have his uh his um rabbi kanina bin Chazakai's commentary on yechezkel which <clears throat> when we find it, if that's uncovered and somewhere that would be a beautiful day, and I can't wait to, you know, get my hands on that um, commentary. <laughs> but luckily, we do have uh, <clears throat> Rashi and other commentators oh, who, diligent study, um, offered some great explanations. All right. And one of those is that the the Corbanot were not instituted on a permanent basis, and this is all for the dedication of the third Beit Hamikdash. And so they're not. What? Yeah. It's all just for the dedication offering. Man. And so you you look at this idea and you're saying, okay, well, the, the Torah laws are eternal. They're not going to change. And so this is just the dedication offerings. Wow. And so um, why is this so long? So the dedication of the Mishkan of the wilderness lasted seven days. On the eighth, Nisim began to offer their ceremonial offerings. And then later you have Shlomo's dedication. It lasted twice as long, 14 days. Wow. And it mentions the, the second Behemekhtos was finished. Ezra reigned for a dedication of 21 days. And so since the Kadusha, the future Behemekhtos was vastly surpassed out of the Mishkan of, of both uh, Behemekhtos. Hashem told Yechezkel his dedication would last from Nisan till Tishrei. So Pesach till Sukkot. What? These two seven slash eight day um, Yom Tovs that we celebrate the, these bookends of the Yom Tovs. Mm. This is how long this is going to last. Oh my word. Well, I was getting ready to just drop in on the 21 days that, you know, this 17th of Tammuz to the 9th of Av and how originally had we not doubted Hashem and really slandered the land, that would have been 21 days to get you some. Like, Hashem was so ready to bring us into the land and, like, get everything all turned up, and we would have had the equivalent of Rosh Hashanah to Shemini Atzeret in the middle of the year. Mm. So, but anyway. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Trugman brought down incredible <clears throat> you know all all the uh this is something to to keep in mind just like how we how we view a mitzvah is it as as a burden if we miss it like oh well we couldn't do it or you know do we view it like you know the word of the mitzvah is a mitzvah you know how great of a word is that and and how much are we losing out when we refuse to initiate in a commandment of god or, or a good deed or anything like that you know, wow. how much, yeah. how much Hashem has planned for us, you know, man, that we just don't reach out for. So going on, moving on, I guess. Moving on. Um, this whole idea of why uh, Hezkel was not told about the dedication for Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. Why is Pesach and Sukkot mentioned here going into verse 25? And it says, one answer may be that, that Pesach and Sukkot will in the future commemorate very special events in the process of the redemption. Oh. Pesach will make, mark the beginning of the redemption, 
And the Sukkot season, its conclusion, the miraculous war of Gog and Magog, therefore these two festivals will be singled out with a special Corbanot. And so before describing the special dedication of Corbanot for Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, Yechezchel commands that in the future, the gate of the, the section of the yard with Kogim were, were, permit, were permitted to enter must be open in those days for the people to enter. Wow. <clears throat> wow, wow, wow. You want that, to jump in? I mean, that is something that's amazing, you know, because there will be a big battle. The redemption doesn't happen all at once, you know, and it's just kind of like, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man. Okay. And it mentioned, it goes in talking about verse three. It says, in the way of the people, the land will be able to bow down before Shem every Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. Mentions that the on Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, these these gates will open by themselves. Oh, and so everyone will know that it's Shabbat, or everyone will know it's uh, Rosh Chodesh. Man, <laughs> that is like the most kosher version of Open Sesame. I don't even know how you say that uh, appropriately, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, Abracadabra is actually a, a Jewish word. That's right phrase I, I create with my speech yes <laughs> so maybe that's what we'll say you know <laughs> abracadabra and say abracadabra and the gates will open <laughs> welcome to shabbat <laughs> yeah that's a that's a msu midrash right there oh wow you just pulled me into that with you yeah i did i'm sorry <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't gonna go alone uh, <laughs> Well, I'll go with you wherever you would like to go. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. So carrying on to the um, uh, uh, the uh, the next section talks about <clears throat> when the Babylonians were about to destroy the first band Mikdash, its gates disappeared in the ground, as if to say, Echa 2-9, her gates sank in the ground. They were so holy that enemies were not granted possession of them. Those gates will be restored to us even in the future. Uh, Mektash will be built every Shabbos. The gates will be miraculously swing open to publicize the arrivals of Shabbos, the arrival of Shabbos. Likewise, on Rosh Kodesh, Ben Israel will know that the new moon has appeared when they see the gates opening by themselves. Then they will come to the Mektash and bow down in the direction of the Shekinah. Mm. <clears throat> So these ideas of, of these doors, you know, sinking to the ground. And we mentioned this in one of the last half tours that, uh, you know, his shim is going to allow us to, he's, he, the door is going to be put up there, but he's going to allow us to make the final little touch on the door, door, you know, so that we can have a part in, in building, like physically, like building the temple, if you will. Wow. It's kind of like a father when he's, you know, doing a project and he allows his son to put like the last little, hammer on the nail kind of thing you know yeah exactly and he's like look you built it and you're like yeah i did Stop. give yourself a hand <laughs> <laughs> yay you know uh, we're, like little children, so we're just excited to be be a part of a project with our father you know and this is why we have to be little children before we can enter into the kingdom amen so, you know, this uh, this whole half tour is amazing because, you know, it really goes, um, really, it's a point to prove against all this anti-Semitism about, you know, the the 
temple is going to be built by the enemy and it's evil and there's all this demonic stuff that goes around with it, you know, because here we see that Mashiach is literally leading the ceremony of the third temple, Man. you know, and how even, even after, um, his, the sacrifice of himself, there's still these sacrifices that are taking place. Yep. Pretty much. So it's really well, interesting. What's that? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, overall, as far as, as far as I personally am concerned, I haven't really heard teachings on the third temple until coming to Sar Shalom and getting to glean from Rabbi and the Beit Dean and from uh, the incredible Talmud, um, our Chavivi Mikael. And so, I mean, there's just been a lot of beautiful clarity that's been brought forth over this over this past time. And, um, you know, it's like we have to deprogram and defragment uh, previous uh, religions that taught about the future and the temple and things like that, because most futuristic events were taught from Revelation, which the, the Yehudim, we view Revelation as a Jewish writing. But the only problem is, is it doesn't have to get that bad because we get to we get the opportunity, first of all, to merit a, a sweetening of the judgment based off of if we're going to be obedient or not, you know, and it's just kind of like that's never been taught. And it's like that is like nails on a chalkboard to some people who are actually believers in Hashem and his holy word. It's just like, how dare you say? the world is not going to be destroyed and fall apart and be all this destruction and craziness. It's like, it doesn't have to be. Have we checked out Maseket Sanhedrin 98? Have mm. we checked out the writings of Yahu and got into some rabbinical commentary on uh, listening to the voice of Hashem and not waiting till it's too late to make Teshuvah? Have we read Tractate Rosh Hashanah about the power of Teshuva? That one man's Teshuva can save the whole world? I Ooh. mean, that, that I mean, it's just like, we have to bring this out. We have to literally be like the glory of kings to search it out kind of thing, as the proverb says. That we have to search out these hidden uh, mysteries and treasures that Hashem has given to us in his holy word. And so... Baruch Hashem that we have the opportunity as Lapid to do this. And yeah. I'm just grateful to be on this podcast and to, to get to glean these insights right now. Cause I'm like I, all week, uh, I, I got to do a podcast about the Leviathan and the Bahima and all the crazy, amazing mind blowing things that are going to be happening in creation uh, in time to come that, Right now, compared to our traffic jam life every day, waking up at the crack of dawn to go to work and be stressed out and pray through it and be thankful and pray through it kind of thing to like yeah. this whole mind shift that's going to happen, you know, and it's just kind of like we have to start understanding what the Geula is. Like if we're praying for Mashiach's return, we're making Teshuva, we're making proselytes, like there's some massive changes ahead, you know. So, Bruce Shum. Shum, man. I, I, th I think that's you just amazing perspective you brought out of just <clears throat> having the vision 
and and I'm putting putting some time in 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 and reading reading about the sources and listening uh, to things about the sources of of what the future's gonna be like because it's really just gonna be like this this whole new reality. Literally, you know all all this stuff. If if anything, it'll be but a, but a fleeting memory. Everything in this life, right? Like a, a whole whole new birth, whole new renewal. All the uh, like, I imagine you know we're gonna see a whole new color spectrum, if you will. Right. Oh, trust me on that. You okay? You don't know what you just said. There's a a passage of Zohar from uh, Sefer Bami Bar. I don't remember which tour portion. But we went over this, believe it or not, in the youth group a while back. And it was talking about these brilliant colors that we can't see now. That when we enter into the Alam Haba, there's a whole new color spectrum that we will get to glean from as we study new, deeper insights of the Torah. Literally in the Tower of Salvation. So, like, that is codified in the Zohar, what you just said. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome you know it's gonna be so so magnificent this whole idea you know it mentions that the, the when the third behemikdash will be built you know uh Sephorno, he understands these words of the navi that there's not going to be merely just a cloud over the the hecho, the temple but rather there's going to be this real fire you know, it mentions this cloud of the Mishkan. You read all about that and, and these Torah parshas, you know. And it's like where the Shekinah is. You know, the presence of God there, there's cloud. It goes up and down, tells everybody to travel. But it's going to be such a great and intense degree of, of this this presence of, of Hashem that there ever was during the 40 years that it's going to be actually like a consuming fire. So those amazing pillars of fire that will be a traveling system for us. Okay. (laughs) Yes. By the way, that's in Zohar this week on uh, Parashat Tazriya about the Mashiach uh, being taken up in a pillar of fire. And I thought that was so interesting because G. Shekel pointed out the passage from Acts chapter 1 when Yeshua was taken up in a cloud. And it's just kind of like, because we didn't have a lot of Jewish sources at the time, I was reading Acts. Uh, now we do have Jewish sources, and they say Mashiach will be taken up in a pillar of fire. And it's just kind of like, so what was left out of that little verse there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Okay. No. Well, um, I was, uh, I was trying to cross-reference here, uh, the Egeret to the Romans, uh, I believe it's in chapter 8, but it was talking about the current times are not worthy to be compared with the coming glory. So, uh, yep, it's uh, chapter 8, verse 18. So, just to our point of what we've been talking about, uh, even Shaul knew about that. <laughs> Man. Let's see. So I love I love that whole you know Mashiach reference coming up in in a cloud and a fire. Yes. You know, 
So, uh, you know, we, we're, we're coming up into um, the, the PASOC, this PASOC season. And, you know, it mentions in one of the uh, Maftir readings, it talks about that, you know, it's, it's from where Shem's saying, this is, uh, this is going to be the beginning of, of months for you. This is for you, the beginning of months. Right. And so you have in this, um, this, this, this link between that, that the Maftir reading opened with this beginning of redemption and the, the process began with the Korban Pesach in Egypt and it concluded with the, the Mikdash and the service therein. And so like literally you have this, this same, this same uh, picture that emerges in the listing of acts of kindness when we recite on the Seder, this whole idea of Dainu. Oh. So we begin literally with, um, if Hashem had only taken us out of Egypt, Dainu would have been enough. Right. And you end it with, you know, et bet mebracha. It's like he he built for us a chosen house, but literally the Beha Mikdash. <laughs> Behold, I prepare a place for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so here you here you have you know the Maftir readings like coming out of Egypt and you hear the half Torah which is like the building of the third temple, and so you just see how how beautifully um, everything constructed by the sages like from the the Hagida, you know the Pesach offering, how that is so woven into and woven from like the scriptures Yechezkel. Uh, Parsha Bo, you know the whole the whole Torah, the whole Tanakh. That it's just incredible. It's like, how can you not trust uh, Chazal? How can you not trust put your faith in the oral law when it's just like you see their whole life, their whole energy, their whole time, their thought process was so woven within Scripture. You know, that's the the epitome of what's your source, you know? Yes. Well, we 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 come in, uh, we come into the the close of well, I'll, I'll mention this whole idea first. It mentions in um, four, nine and four, ten, when the people land will come before a shim of the festivals, one who enters through the northern gate to worship shall leave through the southern gate and one who worship um I'm sorry, and what, uh, to worship shall leave through the southern gate, and one who enters through the southern gate will leave through the northern gate, and should not return the gate through the, which he entered, but he should exit through the opposite. On the festivals, Nasi shall be among them, the people, he shall enter and leave them as they do. And it mentions this whole idea of, of well, you know, you had this question, what, why is this, why you have to enter through the northern and go at the south, and, it, you know, and, and it's this whole concept of there is like this this mitzvah this thing that is um highly favorable to to show your love and respect for the beha mektash or anything sacred that you don't try to rush out oh <clears throat> you know you want to take your time and if you you go through it has like a beha mektash for instance has two interests um you know then you 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 go in one entrance and you go out the other so that you spend longer 
in in the house of Hashem. Wow. And so it's kind of you 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 see like hey, once again how the sages have have derived from Yechezkel um, these whole just practical principles that we could live with and develop ourselves from. There's also um, possibly with the whole idea of when you take off your tefillin, you want to take like your your head tefillin, you want to take it off with your non-dominant hand, mm. so that you show that leaving the presence of Hashem is hard for you. Wow. Also, while we where we take steps back, you know, we we yes. take, take moments in the Shemona Ezra take steps back with our non-dominant foot because it's difficult for us to leave the presence of God. Mm. And so all this, this is not these just like Nestle made out thin here customs. Like these literally, these people, um, they toiled over, they toiled over the Torah. They toiled over the verses and the words of the prophets. And they drove uh, principles and practical applications that we could literally live our lives out and come into a, a closer connection with the Shim, which is really what we're here for in the first place. We're here to achieve um, Divichus, you know this this idea of closeness and attachment to to attachment to Hashem, and that's why we do the mitzvahs. This whole idea of of attaching ourselves to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and so it, it's trying to show you this whole beautiful idea, like coming from uh, Yechezkel forty six nine and ten, these little practical applications that we do within uh, Halakha, and the effects they have, you know, uh, I remember before one of the half tours, we mentioned, you know, why, why do we have to be modest? Why is the Halakha enforces to be modest and implore us to be modest in our homes when no one's around, you know? Right. And we were discussing this whole idea of, because it makes a shim real to us. It makes him real to us. It's, it's a way of, of connecting to this in, invisible uh, creator who's so above our, our realm of, of finite consciousness. <clears throat> you know, one of the cool things to add to what you're saying is that the toiling that Chazal have done over the passages of Scripture and Halakha and Minhag, it was all Be'ivrit. And maybe some Aramaic, I'll give it that space, but it definitely wasn't in English. Which <laughs> is what I want to stress because the moment you get into an all Hebrew study, first of all, you're going to go up about 50, 100 levels just from that language change. And 50, 111 levels probably sounds like a really weird made up number. But I just want to give a personal testimony. Hopefully, it'll take me one minute and counting go. When <laughs> I uh, came to Sar Shalom, I was very, very zealous and like red flame, fire, butane torch, uh, propeller engine, blast off rocket, crazy, uh, going all in with everything I could possibly get my hands on to. And ended up getting with the wrong group of people that led me pretty much off the derrick and pretty much made me at odds with our bait dean, which is never a good place to be. 
So if you are there right now, somebody, whoever may be listening, don't do it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Turn around fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, all that to say is I got to a point where I pretty much only believed in Hashem and Mashiach, but wasn't really sure what to do or how to live. I took my kippah off. I took my zitzit off. I think. I don't remember. There, I definitely didn't wear my kippah for a while. And just whatever on kashrut and, and observances. And so I, I kind of had a moment, you know. And <clears throat> I'll tell you that it was very interesting because uh, some miraculous way, uh, I know I'm going to shout out Zach and Rayford for sure. I'm going to shout out Rabbi Griffin for sure. I'm going to shout out Rabbi Zine Griffin for sure. I'm going to shout out a whole bunch of people who are unnamed uh, to this day that I don't even know. Uh, and I know the Dentons are part of it, but all these people, leadership, uh, Sar Shalom, close Mishpaka, prayed for me with me out without me even knowing. And through Hashem's miraculous restoration of bringing me back in, I uh, I want to say that once that manifested and transpired, that I was able to make shuva and come back and be resurrected because I literally felt like that's what it was. One of the key things that I noticed from the start of this new beginning was that I was finally able to see Yeshua HaMashiach without any commentary beyond the Aleph Tav. Like, okay, so beyond commentary, also beyond just looking at the Aleph Tav, just looking at the Hebrew text of the Torah portions. I was able to clearly see Yeshua HaMashiach in the Hebrew text. So all of that to say, whenever you are toiling in Torah over just the Hebrew and keeping everything cohesively sourced out through the leadership of the sages, because who are we to ever think that we know more than they do? Again, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Turn around, okay? But it just, when whenever you're in, at that level, face-to-face with the Hebrew of the Torah, like, that's a whole new thing. Like, English is just, I mean, that's baby talk compared comparatively. That's like a baby to a rocket scientist standing at a rocket and, like, looking at it and going over it in detail. So... That was a lot of extra information to just what I wanted to say about toiling over the scripture in Hebrew. No, man, uh, I love it, man. I, I love sharing, sharing your, your, your testimony and, you know, just that whole concept of, of being torn down or, or, you know, and, and then just being brought back up, you know, that like this, you know, we read about the, the third temple and sometimes, you know, we get so caught up. Oh, it's exciting. You know, we, we forget about the past. And like literally the, the, the temple had to be torn down, you know, a couple of times in order for this, this third temple to come. Wow. You know, and, you know, whenever we, we, we uh, you know, do, do stray or, or fall short or we miss opportunity or whatever. You know, Hashem takes that on himself. 
you know, we, we read a lot of that in the, when we're talking about the half Torahs for, uh, during, during the times of Echa, you know, lamentations about he's tearing down his house. And, you know, we, we all looked at, oh, he's just, Hashem destroyed the temple. He's scattered the Jewish people. How mean, how cruel, but literally it's, it's Hashem's desire that to have a, a dwelling place in the lower world, it's his desire. And so literally he's, he's taking himself out of the picture. He's, he's, he's um, uh, subjugating his own desire, if you will. Wow. So that life can flourish. So we could have life and we can have life more abundantly. Talk about self-control. You know, and, and so we, we wonder, you know, why we go through much, uh, I guess you say, uh, temptations and trials. And we have all these um, forces within us and external to us that are, are trying to get us like, like that's, that's going to bring death into the world. You know, yeah. and one, one of the many commentaries why Hashem didn't allow um moshe into land or why he didn't allow david to build a temple or moshe to build a temple was because it would be eternal and it couldn't be destroyed and the jewish people would have to be wiped out if they sinned wow and so you think about that him him allowing um him him restricting certain people from having what they desire most you know and him allowing his his house to be destroyed he was suppressing his de his desire so that we could have life and it goes to show us you know if we we end up suppressing our desire so that there there we can allow life to flourish and we could uh strive after the the commandments and and this this Torah life cycle then we are literally being made in Hashem's image and we're allowing the redemption to come that much faster you know wow there, there's this the the Ula, this whole the whole redemption process, and it's like, well, we don't have nearly the same Sadakim that we had before. And so how are how are we gonna bring Mashiach? And <laughs> the answer is, you know, what the, the sages say, according to the struggle is the reward. Ooh. You know, we we have um you know, the, the Arizal, there's, there's a, a story about the Arizal talking to one of his foremost students. And this is the time when the Arizal was around. It was time when uh, the Beit Yosef, Yosef Kero, the one who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, and all these prominent leaders were around. And he's talking about, you know, the darkness of their generation. And that's their generation. You look at how, how modestly people dressed. You look at how, um, how they acted, how they thought, you know. And then you compare that to our generation, we're far, we're far worse off. Woo. The wow. darkness is so much stronger in our time. And according to these, the, the struggle is the reward. Man. And so you think how we're going to bring Mashiach is because we're in such a, a dark time that every little mitzvah we do shines this, this beautiful light and is, is, is such a, a, a beautiful array firework display in, in Shemaim that if, if we press forth and we get unified in our in our mitzvah keeping in our observance level you know we can redeem the image of mashiach we can we can bring mashiach now amen but the key is unity and the key is su um subjugating our own desires 
because a lot of times you look at people who go off go off the derrick and stuff and um literally they want to take people with them yep because there's a comfort and unity it says hey I'm, I'm not as wrong if you're with me you know right misery loves company misery loves company and so if we could just like be like a sham subjugate our own desires for the sake of life and and have abundant life not just for ourselves but for others and get unified with that and get unified in the torah unified in the halacha then we can we can bring the redemption Amen. Well, that was well timed because now the timer is saying you've been drushing for one hour. Amen. Thanks, Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, so uh, do you have any more uh, tabs you'd like to clear out before we go to practical takeaways? Well, um, I guess I could let you go to practical takeaways. I was I was gonna mention this this one thing, not necessarily from our, our uh half Torah, but kinda of going back in time about the foundations of the of the temple. Ooh, I like that. So Well, uh, my only practical takeaway is what we've been taking away is about being unified and bringing Mashiach and getting ourselves in a mental and heart posture of embracing the geula so i know that takes a lot and it's kind of you kind of feel like a crazy person like you're probably going to get put in a padded room or something but guess what the clouds of glory is the best padded room ever so get some. <laughs> i always wondered what it feel like being a nice puffy cloud <laughs> right <laughs> all right but- so i'm gonna hand it over to you uh, you do your thing. I'm I'm here in uh, Brookshire. All right. So I'll read this um, from Peskim 88A, and then leading to practical takeaways after that. Okay. My my section, I guess. Uh, yes. Practical. Your your practical takeaway. Yes. <laughs> Come on. So this is Rabbi Eliezer says, "What does Yes uh oh, sorry Yes yeah, Isaiah mean when he says, and many peoples will go and say, Come, let us go to the mountain God, the house of the God of Yaakov." Why the God of Yaakov and not the God of Abraham and Yitzhak? The answer is, not like Abraham, who saw as a mountain, as it says, on the mountain God is seen, Rashid 22.14, and not like Yitzhak, for whom it was a field, and Yitzhak went out the, to pray in the field, Rashid 24.63, but like Yaakov, who called it a house, and he called the name of that place Bet-El, the house of God, Rashid 28.19, was from Peskakim 88. A. And so it, you know, we, we, we go on to mention this whole idea of this whole foundations of the temple. And you have Abraham, who was literally rooted in a world of darkness by idolatry, who literally discovered a shim through witnessing his, his creation. You know, he, his whole, his whole mission was to bring God down to earth. It was to feel Hashem's desire of having a, uh, dwelling in the lower worlds, you know. Yes. Literally, it's like Abraham knew when he saw the place. It's this. This is the place. There's a cloud hovering over the mountain called the Midrash, mm. and this is Mount which he sacrificed his son Yitzhak. Wow. And this is the mountain. In the is the place of the Evan Shatia, the foundation stone, from 
from which the earth emanated like a fetus, fetus growing out of its belly. Oh my goodness. You know, it was the same place where Adam was created, where, where Noah sacrificed after the flood, and it was a fitting place for Avram to offer up Yitzhak to elevate him to a life of perfect submission to the will of God. Hmm. And, you know, then you, then you get into Yitzhak, who was called that of, that of the heart, you know, the service of the heart, the prayer, which he, he connected the spiritual roots of using the whole letters of, of creation, that, like the Hebrew words that the world was created with that you're talking about. Right. Oh, my goodness. And so he saw, you know, no other place better to pray than here, this mountaintop where he came face to face with his destiny. And so he turned this lofty mountain of self-sacrifice into something much more attainable. And that's why he addressed it as he went to the field. Because the exile is likened to being sent out into the field. <laughs> yes, the harvesters. You know, Which the, the, is where Ruth came from. Ruth came from the field of Moab. Mm-hmm. Man. Amazing what Meshach says. The harvest is plenty. The harvesters are few. Oh, and we are to be faithful workers in the field of the harvest? Yes. Okay. And then we get to Yaakov, you know, where literally he sees the ladder descending and he says, indeed, God is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is another than the Beit El, the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Hmm. A place where heaven and earth meet, where literally angels go up, up to heaven on wings of our prayers and come down with blessings and sustenance for the whole world. You know, for Abraham, it was this mountain. For Yitzhak, it was a field of disciplined labor. And Yaakov, he brought the temple idea with, with everyone, within everyone's grasp, establishing the stone which he rested as the head, really um, rested his head on as literally the foundation of God's house, the Evan stone. <laughs> wow. And so... You know, this whole idea of the house, it, it can, like, it's understandable by everyone, as opposed to, like, this mountain or field, which, you know, you think about mountains or field, they're in remote areas, but everyone knows where a house is. Come on. You know, this is a place where you dwell. It's a place where you feel comfort, you know? Yes. And so, just as we dwell in our homes and houses, carrying out our, our, our basic daily functions there, so the divine presence may be said to dwell in a house appropriately designed and conducted. And so the house that Yaakov's descendants were to build on the spot would be a sign for all of humanity uh, that of, of God's presence in the world. And the establishment of, of this house, it's pretty much, it's, it is the end goal of the journey of destiny, which Yaakov um, set forth. Wow. And so you think about the whole idea, like Yaakov really was the one to bring it down to our level. And that's why we have, you know, Mishkan and the, and the Beha Mikdash. Um, but the whole process, this is the whole, this is the, this is the origin story, if you will, of the third temple. It begins with the, the patriarchs. And you look at the process there, it's, it's Avraham who literally sacrificed his son. Yep. It was this huge mountain. He looked at it as this huge mountain that no one could cross, right? And we look at, uh, and, and then you have uh, Yitzhak, who literally, uh, like through his through his prayers, made it more accessible. 
And then you have Yaakov, who literally, in a sense, built a house for us. Wow. And we mentioned before that the, the three patriarchs, they're like the three vows on the, the shin. That's right. And how the shin, if you break it down, has the gematria of Mashiach. That's right. And so how, how they built the house for us is how Mashiach <laughs> built the house for us. You know, literally laying down his, his life, like the Akedah, this was Abraham. Right. This was such a lofty level that only the Mashiach could do it. Only Mashiach can can eliminate uh, the primordial sin and make atonement for us. That's right. And the do on the execution stake, like Yitzhak, he he prayed for us. Oh, we'll be one that we'll be forgiven. And then what did he say? I, you know, before all this, he, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's right. A house for you. And this is what Yaakov did. So Mashiach's uh, sacrifice on the execution stake was a, a way of preparing this third temple to where we get later in the future, this half tour where he's no longer this leper Messiah outside the gates of Rome, but he is literally the Nazi who's like from his own wealth that, that is, is brought to him, all the gifts that brought to him that we read in Isaiah, you know, yeah. from his own wealth, he does all these offerings and, you know, you have this whole new state of being that we're in, this whole new elevated state. There's, there's no more wars. There's, there's, it's just like literally world peace. True world peace. Yes. And so. so peace cannot be revoked. <laughs> yes. My peace I give. Not as the world gives. That's right. You know? So. There you go. I guess my, my practical take would just be this whole idea of, of, of tagging on to, to what you said as well is just um, looking forward to the third temple, looking forward to this time to come and allowing us to overcome our, our struggles in order to, to, to bring the redemption closer. Amen. To, uh, to not waste if we're if we're going to cry then don't waste a tear you know because the 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 gates of prayer are always open to tears you know that's right so when you cry you know whatever you're going through that brings you to the point of tears and pray for the return of mashiach and pray for the the restoration of 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 the souls in the world because ultimately, we don't want the Geula so that we can be done struggling. We want the Geula mm -hmm. to be done so all mankind can be rectified. We can we truly experience God how we were meant to. Yes. Well, on that note, what do we know? What do we know? Akadosh Baruchu, Todah for the realization of your truth. May you truly help us to lock arms, to lock hearts, to lock souls, neshamot, uh, together to bring the coming of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. May we merit to do so only by your grace and by your mercy and by your glorious right hand. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zur Kol HaOlamim Zadik Beko HaDorot HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer Veose Hamdaber 
um kayam shako debarav emet vazedek. Ne eman atahu adonai alohenu, vene emanim, debareka vedavar echad, midvareka akor lo yashuv, rekam ki el melek, ne eman verakaman ata, baruk ata adonai, ha el ha ne eman, beko debarav, biskut mashiach yeshua, amen. Amen. Well, Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai, blessings to everyone over your Shabbat HaChodesh. This is Shomer Echasis saying Shalom and Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. <laughs>